Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Intentional Christmas. Now, this is our second message, and I'm going to be t- teaching, uh, preaching today and next Sunday on the title more and better. Everybody say more and better. Part one and part two. And, and, and more and better is, you know, uh, it, it kind of typ- typifies the season. I mean, everybody is talking about more. I mean, that's what Christmas is all about when you're little, right? More. But you, you remember what it was like to open that first gift. And as soon as you saw what it was, you were looking for the next gift, Right. I mean, there's something about it. There's something about self when people are giving things to us that that it's it's not easy to satisfy those wants. We want more. We want more. And and I I remember when my boys were young. uh, By the way, if you didn't notice uh, Facebook's announcements uh, last night, uh, we had a reveal party, and I have a grandson on the way. But when my boys were young, Bo and uh, Benjamin, uh, I would take them to Toys R Us. That was back when there was actually bookstores that you could go to, I mean, toy stores you could go to. And, and, and I would walk in the front door with them, and there was such an anticipation, and there was eyes were big, and I would stop them at the door, and I would say, guys, I know what you want. And they would just look at me like, yeah, yeah. And I would tell them, I said, I know you want everything, but you can only get one thing. (laughs) Because I wanted to, at the very beginning, limit their expectation of everything that they were going to get. And and, and really, when you're young, Christmas is all about more. It's all about more, 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 more toys. And even when we get older, a lot of times it's about more stuff or or, or more cars or, or, or a bigger house or... Uh, etc. There's, there's just always more that we ask for. But, but this is what I've found. I have found that while the flesh is constantly crying for more and more, that eternal part of us, our soul, is crying for better. It's crying for better. It's crying for a better focus, a better life, a better meaning to my life, a, a, a better marriage. I want to be a better parent. I want to have a better prayer life. I, I, I want to be a better follower of Jesus Christ. And, and I believe that inside, in that part of us that is eternal, we are all searching for better. The wise man wrote this in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse number 11. He said, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted. Everybody say planted. So there's something inside of us that God has planted. And that something is called eternity in the human heart. He's put it inside of us. And as we really pay attention to that planting, that seed that is there, 
and we cultivate it, we begin to look for that better life that God has called us to live, that intentional life that God has called us to live. And and I know that people look all over the world for that better life. They look in in ways that they can do more or serve more or learn more or uh, whatever it is, but there truly is only one place you can go if you really want that better life, and that is Jesus Christ. And this is what's so amazing. He wants to give us that life. He he told us in the book of John chapter 10, in verse number 10, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. So this is my prayer today and as we go through the next two weeks of this series is that that we would go after that better life during this intentional Christmas season, during this time when we're really paying attention to what it's all about. This is what I have found in my life and, and, and I know that others have found it. I'm not the first person to say it, but when we really live an intentionally Jesus-focused life, a, a, a life that is focused on others and helping others, that is the more and better life that is beyond our dreams. And I've said it so many times from this stage, the best life you can live is the life that God created you to live, the God, the, the life that God destined you to live. And so over these next three weeks, we're really going to jump into the Christmas story. And this morning, we're going to look at the wise men. Amen. Wise men. Now, now, if you have a nativity scene or if you see nativity scenes around, you're, you're going to notice some very recognizable uh, figures. There's obviously the center of the nativity scene, which is the Lord, the baby Jesus in the manger. And, and, and as you look up past that, you're going to see that there is Mary and Joseph is normally there beside them. And, and, and then you'll see a, 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 maybe a shepherd there. Of course, there's the animals around because it is a manger and, and you can connect with that, that, um, that shepherd because of the incredible story of the angels appearing to the shepherds in the field. Amen. That's so powerful. And, and when we see that shepherd, then we, we understand that. But then as you keep looking, there's normally three of these dudes, these three wise men. And, and, and I don't know about you, but sometimes it's like, now, where did they come from and where did they go? None of them are the cotton-eyed Joe, but the, 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 that was lame. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to do better. Uh, the, the wise men, where did they come from? And, and actually, when you, when you read the story of the wise men in the book of Matthew chapter 2, you, you quickly recognize that, that the other two guys that gave the account of of the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, 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 Mark and Luke, they, they left the wise men out. And, and so you have to wonder, like, uh, where are they? And, 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 and of course, normally in a nativity scene, there's three of these guys because there was three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But, but this is what we know, um, that, that there was probably more than three. Actually, most people or most theologians say there was at least 12 and maybe many more. There, there's another thing that I, I need to tell you about your nativity scene. 
these guys never actually went to the manger. I'm, I'm sorry, you know, they were good guys. They know who God was, but, but they weren't, they, they came months later. As a matter of fact, they ended up visiting Jesus when he was in a house. It would already completely changed. And, and, and while I'm happy with your nativity scene and don't change it for me, um, that's not really what happened. And, and, and this is uh, what we need to see about them being in this story. And that is the point of this message. And really the point of Christmas is that Jesus intentionally pursued you and you should intentionally pursue Jesus. I want to read this story from the book of Matthew chapter 2, and it's 12 verses long, but it's very important today for us to get, grasp what the Lord is trying to say here. And it starts with, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men came from the eastern lands, arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed. Everybody say deeply disturbed. When he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went, from their, went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house house, not manger. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it is time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, I think we could ask the question today, why is this even in the Bible? What, what, what made Matthew decide when, 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 when Luke and, and um, uh, Mark decided to leave it out? What, what, what was it? What's up, Matthew? Why did you put this in? And I want you to listen to what I believe. I believe that the story of the wise men or the Magi is in the Bible to show the intentionality of God around Christmas, around the birth of our Savior. And, and, and we can do that by just taking a look at the characters that are involved in this story. We first of all find 
King Herod. He was a truly just a figurehead. His boss was Caesar Augustus, and, and while he held the title as the king of, uh, of Judah, he, he was simply an employee. He, he <clears throat> was a man that was extremely jealous of anyone who would uh, threaten his reign as king. He, he, and that jealousy actually led to, a, uh, I would say, a paranoid fear that someone was going to take his kingdom from him. History, if you read history, you'll find that Herod actually uh, put three of his sons to death. He was so paranoid that they were going to overthrow his kingdom and become the king because they were in the line of secession that he actually killed his sons to protect his reign as king. He, he had a wife that was his favorite wife. I don't know how many wives he had, but, but he also killed her. I mean, this is a man that is clearly unsettled. And, and history tells us that Caesar Augustus actually made this statement, it's safer to be Herod's pig than one of his sons. This was a man that was deranged. The Bible said it, he was deeply disturbed. This is one of the main characters. And then we have the religious leaders. These are the guys that are there in Jerusalem, the leaders that Herod calls together. And, and, and when he calls them together, guess what? They know the prophecies. <clears throat> they know all about the Messiah. They know that he was going to be born in Jerusalem. And, 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 and they knew all of the information. And then finally, there's these men, the Magi, the wise men, and they were what we would call a learned group of men. They, they were uh, of a rank of a priestly caste. They were, they were known to be wise men and they were actually known to be king makers, kingdom establishers in that world. You see, in the ancient Middle East, these magi, these wise men were trusted advisors to the king. They were proficient in astrology and astronomy and mathematics and, and, and calculations and dream interpretations. These, these were not just a few men who accidentally came up. They were very well known. As far back as 604 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar called uh, these men. They, he summoned them after having a troubling dream. And he, the scripture says he summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. I, as a matter of fact, I want to take a moment to look at that so you can see the intentionality of God, the story of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And, and I'm not going to go into detail. Let me just read a couple of scriptures from that second chapter of Daniel. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such a disturbing dream that he couldn't sleep. He called all in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, and he demanded them that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I've had a dream that deeply troubles me and I must know what it means. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was being very wise. He didn't tell them the dream because he knew that they would end up telling him what he wanted to hear or what they thought he wanted to hear. Instead, he said, you have to tell me the dream. And as they stood there, none of them could come up with the dream. 
None of them could uh, tell him what had troubled him. And, and finally, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful man in the world at this time, said, I'm going to kill all of you. As a matter of fact, he put a man in charge. He said, round them all up. I want all of them taken and I want them destroyed. Destroy, kill all of these wise men. And when this wise man came to Daniel's house, he came to Daniel and said, this is what's going to happen. Of course, Daniel was a man that was wise. He was anointed by God. He had great relationships with people. And he said, hold on, let me go see the king. And he went before King Nebuchadnezzar and King Nebuchadnezzar told him the same thing. If you don't tell me what's in my dream. And he said, hold on, let me go pray for a minute. And this is what happened as he prayed. God revealed to him this incredible dream that Nebuchadnezzar had of this great statue with a head that starts with gold all the way down to a, the feet that were made of. I can't even remember what it was made of now. Sorry. Somebody help me? Clay. And it was really God showing him the ages, a dream of the ages, showing this king what was going to take place. And then Daniel comes back in and Daniel gives him not only the dream, but the interpretation of the dream. And at this moment, Nebuchadnezzar is so moved that he does something that really has an impact on the story that we're telling today. This is what the scripture says in verse number 48 of Daniel chapter 2. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all the wise men. Now, I want you to think about that. 600 years before the birth of Christ, these wise men, astrologers, astronomers, dealers with dreams, are all of a sudden being taught by a man that says, listen, this is the first commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Daniel starts teaching them about the prophecies and Daniel starts teaching them about the things that are to come and, and think about the training they received under Daniel's teaching and, and they understood the prophecies of the Messiah. They were watching for the moment. 600 years later, this intentionality of God to place Daniel in a place of, of power to teach and to make this moment happen. I want you to think a moment about how God orchestrated all of those events to take place. Is our God amazing? That's just one part. That's just one part of the intentional story of Christ. Read the Old Testament. You see that every moment of the Old Testament is pointing to this moment when Jesus comes to take away the sin of the world. The intentionality of Christ. What a powerful moment for us to really discover just how much it means to the Lord. And, and this is what I would say in the same way that Jesus has intentionally pursued you why don't we intentionally pursue him? Why do we hold back? It's only through Jesus that we will achieve that better life that God has 
created us to live. I, I, I love the story how when they finally came to the house, the, 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 the star, for all of you that don't know, uh, Bethlehem is really just a, a, right there. It's, it's less than six miles from Jerusalem. And, and, and I don't know all the details about the star. That wasn't included. But, but apparently they thought it was Jerusalem. And, and, and I understand that. I mean, if, if it was Santa Fe and Houston, I live in Santa Fe, and the, they were coming from, they, they would say, oh, surely it's in Houston, not Santa Fe. But, but just like that, wasn't in Jerusalem, it was in Bethlehem. And when the star led them there, the scripture says they were filled with joy. This is what we've heard about, and this is what we've learned about, and this is what we've searched for, and this is what we've looked for. And when they went in and they saw this new king, <laughs> the scripture says that they worshipped him. They worshipped him. This is what I want you to get from this message that I'm preaching about in Intentional Christmas is that this story reshaped their perspective. It reshaped. Remember when they come into Jerusalem, they're going to the king. They're going into the palaces. They're asking the wise men, but I mean the religious leaders. But after they saw Jesus, they're story completely changed that this intentional story reshaped their life just as every year it should bring a reshaping to us when we see how much God loved us as a matter of fact it reshaped their perspective so much that from this moment on they were looking out for number one amen everybody say look out for number one all of y'all didn't participate don't make me take names. <laughs> say it with me. Look out for number one. Turn to your neighbor and say, look out for number one. You, 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 you see, when we say that, what comes into our mind is I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to watch out for me. But, but what really we need to understand is that the Magi, when they come before Jesus and they worshiped him, they started looking out for number one, and number one was Jesus Christ. They started protecting him and treasuring him and, and, and worshiping him because they saw how his life was so important. And, and this is what I want you to know is that everyone has a number one. We, we all have a number one in our life. And I would just ask you, who is number one in your life? Who is number one? And, and again, let's go back to this story. Let's, let's look, first of all, at Herod. Herod, from his perspective, we all know who is number one. Herod was number one, right? I mean, he has to be in, under the mindset that I'm number one to the place where he would kill his own sons to protect his kingdom. <laughs> I mean, how, how much more can you get a guy that is narcissistic and, and full of self-importance. And, and, and I would imagine that as he is sitting on the throne and these wise men come in, and again, I don't believe it was through I, I, three. I think there was 12 at least, and they were probably traveling with an entourage of people that helped them. What a stir they must have caused in Jerusalem for Herod and for everyone around there. And, and then they started talking about, hey, we, we've come to see the new king. <laughs> 
We've come to see the the person that's going to take your place. And and I want you to think just a moment about how that must have have caused all of the jealous feelings to to come up in Herod and and how how he said, as the script, how he was, as the scripture said, deeply disturbed. So, So I want you to listen to this. This was Herod's response violence. Everybody say violence. And really, when we just focus on ourselves, and, and when we really say that we're number one, and that we really try to do everything that we can protect our standing, when someone starts encroaching upon that, we get mad. And, and, and Herod's no different. He, he, he becomes very violent. And, and I would say this, this same spirit is in the world today. Because there's a lot of people that think that they're number one. They think their perspective is number one. They think that their way of thinking is number one. They think that their philosophies are number one. And when you show them the scripture and when you talk to them about Jesus Christ, they get angry to the place of violence. They don't like it. They don't want to be told that their way may be wrong. They may have, have, have misinterpreted. They, they, they would rather you die than for them to really look at the Word of God and decide what is right. As a matter of fact, we can see that in Herod, in his violence, he actually had children put to death to protect his throne. Children put to death. I've watched the imagery over the last few weeks as as the Supreme Court has started looking at this Roe versus Wade, and and I've seen people that are actually celebrating the fact that they had an abortion. I've seen people taking the abortion pill outside of the Supreme Court and laughing about it. And I just have this to say, every child is a gift from God, and this is what I believe that God will protect those children. God help us. I've said this before. One day, America is going to look back on this time where there are over 4,000 children aborted per day. And it's going to be worse in our history than Hitler was in the time of the Germanies. It's a catastrophe. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I don't want anybody to feel bad if you've gone through it. I am no way condemning. I'm just saying there has to be a time when it comes to an end and we say, Lord, we don't want this to take place anymore. That's my prayers. My prayers is, Lord, let this end. I don't want to take away anybody's rights. I I don't want to be mean to anybody, but I believe that a child in a mother's womb is precious in the sight of God. I believe that he actually participates. As David said, he knits that child together. The spirit of violence was in the world back then. And as Herod tried to protect his throne, the scripture says in verse 16 and 18 of Matthew, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were 10 years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was, cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning 
Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for they are dead. That's the the first part. That's the first number one. I I don't want to be that way. I, I don't want for my life to say, oh, I'm number one. I don't want to go through life just looking for everything that I can get. More, 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 more. No, no. I want to go through life looking for better. What can I do to help someone? How can my life be used? How can God direct me? Got quiet in here. But I still believe what everything I said. Still believe it. There was a second group of people there and they were the religious leaders. Now they weren't so much saying that they were number one. What they were saying is that their traditions were number one. They were saying that their religious order was number one. As a matter of fact, this is what I find out when I read the scripture, what their attitude was about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. Indifference. Just turn to your neighbor and say indifference. They they didn't really care. They had all of the information. They had everything that they needed to determine that the baby was going to be born. They weren't looking for him. They weren't trying to seek him. They weren't trying to pursue him. They they had everything. They could have looked into the book of Micah just like they quoted. And they could have found that prophecy. And and they even knew it that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. But their religion and their tradition was number one. They were indifferent to the Messiah. They were caught up in their own life, in their own religion. They knew the answer, but they were indifferent about pursuing God. This is what I see in the story of the religious leaders. And that is you can be religious. You may even grow up in church knowing all about Jesus and it never make one bit of difference in the way that you live your life. You, you can grow up here in all of the stories, going to all of the lessons here and all of the sermons, and at the end of your life, all of that knowledge would have not made one bit of difference in the way that you live your life. You're just indifferent to it. And, and, and this is why. Information about Jesus is not transformal. It doesn't bring transformation to my life just by hearing the stories. There has to be a moment when I worship Him and when I actually worship Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, there's transformation that comes into my life because I say, Jesus is Lord. Everybody say that with me. Jesus is Lord. They were indifferent trapped in their traditions. And then, of course, the third group that we talked about, the wise men. The moment they discovered Jesus as king and the one that they were searching for, it reshaped their life. The scripture says they worshiped. Who was number one in their story? Jesus was. Jesus was the one that they valued. So I, I just ask you today, Who's number one? Is it, is it you? Is, are, are you number one? Are you, are you hostile to the fact uh, that I'm trying to challenge you to quit thinking about just yourself and think about others? Or, or, or are you just indifferent? I'm just here, Pastor. I, I'm ready to go. If you wrap up in the next 15 minutes, everything will be fine. You know, uh, no promises. But the mad guy... 
That they were the ones that were the worshipers. And on this Christmas, I want to intentionally be a worship. Because I know that the moment I worship, it changes my perspectives. The moment I worship, I leave the mundane behind me and I start ascending into the place of glory. Uh, the moment I worship and I see him as the all-powerful, the almighty, the all-present God. The, the moment I worship and I see him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the moment I worship and as I see him as my Savior and my Redeemer, it completely changes my perspective. Completely changes my life. And, and truly, if I really see him the way that he is, it should reshape my life. It should completely rewrite my story because that's what happened. The, the, the Magi changed their perspective. They intentionally even shifted their travel plans, their calendar around what they valued. They now value Jesus, so they're not going back to see Herod. They're not going to be a part of that show. They're not going back to say, we found him. And, and, and remember what the scripture said, they, they returned to their own country by another way. They said, I'm not going back that way. You see, the moment you decide to value Jesus as number one, it will reshape the way that you do things. It'll reshape the way that you do business. It'll reshape the way you live your work on your marriage. It, it'll reshape your life. And, and I just want to tell you this, if it doesn't reshape your life, if it doesn't reshape your calendar, if it doesn't reshape your attitude, then it doesn't really matter to you. It doesn't really make any impact on you. And this is what I've learned about people in the years that I've pastored. If they want to do something, they're going to do it. And if they don't want to do something, they're not going to do it. I have met with people and talked to them for hours only to find out later that they had already made up their mind. It didn't matter what I said. It didn't matter what the scripture said. It didn't matter what prayers were. They already had everything decided in their life. And when you want something, when you really want it, guess what happens? You go after it with all of your heart. No excuse is going to hold you back. No obstacle is going to stop you. You're going to pursue it. I, I know that that's also true about Jesus, but if we don't want to pursue Jesus, if we decide that's not my life, then you know what there is? There's so many excuses that we can come up with for not being committed. <laughs> Oh my goodness, it's Christmas, Pastor. Can't you just preach something simple and happy? No, I'm here to step on your toes today. I'm here to tell you that even when I was talking about 21 days of prayer and fasting, some of you already had excuses in your mind why you couldn't do it. Some of you already had excuses about why you couldn't be at the prayer meeting. Some of you, you've already made because you're not committed to that kind of thing. But if you want to follow Jesus, and, and listen, I'm the first to tell you that if you follow him, there's going to be obstacles and there's going to be trials and there's going to be hindrances. And, and, and this is what you'll do, though, that if you really want to follow him, you'll go over them and under them and around them and through them because no excuse will stop me for living for Jesus Christ. We've seen that throughout history. We've seen people that were so committed that while they were burning 
to death because of their belief. They were singing songs of worship. We've seen it throughout history that when they were given the choice, they said, give me death. I will not deny him. Even today, uh, in many parts of the world, people gather together to worship Jesus, knowing that if the right people come into the building at that moment, they're going to die. It still doesn't stop them because they are committed. They are committed. And I've seen it. I've seen family members who were ostracized by their family because they followed Jesus Christ. I, I've seen people that were shunned by their friends. I, I, I've seen it. I, 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 I know it. But, but you know what? If we've made up our mind to follow Jesus, no excuse, no obstacle, nothing can stop us. And I'm thankful that nothing stopped Jesus from being born and coming to save our life. Let, let, let's go a little bit further. If you have a marriage that's in trouble right now, if you're determined to make that marriage work, you, you know what? No obstacle will stop you from getting the help that you want. No, no, nothing will stop you. You'll, you'll, you'll go to whatever length you have to, to to save your marriage. You'll fight for it. But, but if, you, if you don't, then any excuse will do. Uh, the toast was burnt. I, no, I'm not going to get into excuses. I don't want to give you any ideas. Amen. You know what? If you want to be a good parent, then nothing's going to stop you from being a good parent. You're going to read books. You're going to pray. You're going to be with your kids. If you don't care, then, then you're not going to be a good parent. If, if you want to have a strong prayer life, then no excuse was going to... And believe me, when it comes to praying, there are so many excuses not to pray that they cannot be numbered. They're very similar to the, the grains of sand on the seashore. Anybody that prays knows that. But if you really want to pray, no excuse will do. This is what I want to say. There's a lot of people in this world that have uphill dreams... I want to do this, I want to do this, but they have downhill habits. And if you really want to fulfill those uphill dreams that God has for you, you have to match them with the habits. Downhill is coasting. Downhill is easy. Downhill is something that doesn't really matter. And it's so easy to develop those downhill habits. It's so easy to watch them just stay with you for life. And, and, and it's always the same way. And I, I've met so many people that make excuse after excuse on why they haven't reached the level of potential that God has for them. And I'm here to tell you today that if we're going to be intentional, it needs to reshape our life, the story of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. Someone said, Amen. Amen. Now, I have been reading this book for about a year and a half now. And it's John Maxwell's book called Intentional Living. I, I, I just would recommend this. If you're a reader, you, you need to read this. If you're not a reader, you need to find the book on audio and listen to Intentional Living by John Maxwell. It is such a powerful book to help you get on track. And th th this is... This is something that's so important to me. I, I know that when God created me, He created me for a purpose. I, I need to match what His creation has done with the habits that are in my life. I need to live a better life. So I'm, I'm going to give you four quick points here on just living a practical life. First thing is, you just need to spend time praying and write down what you really value. If your marriage matters, 
Write it down. My marriage is important to me. If if being financially stable uh, uh, is important, then then I need to make sure that I am on a budget. I need to I need to be careful about my spending. If you want to be a worshiper, you need to write it down. I I want to worship what God has given me and what God has done for me. I want to worship Him because of His goodness towards me. And, And not only write it down, but the second thing is is then. Create a calendar around what you are valuing. Make your life match what your values are inside. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what I believe. One in seven days belongs to the Lord. And I'm going to do everything that I can to be in a church on that day because I believe in worshiping God. I believe in in an article that I read, it was stated that in 2019, 100% of practicing Christians and 100% of churched adults had gone to church within the past six months. But then the pandemic hit. And this is what we found out, that one out of five have stopped going to church at all. And I just don't, I don't, I don't understand that. I, I want it to sink in in your mind. One of five churchgoers, people that grew up in church, people that proclaimed that they were followers of Jesus Christ have completely stopped going to church. One of the pastors that I really respect said that the pandemic was just an accelerator for what was already going on in your life. If, if you had good habits, then, then it, it, it just accelerated that. If you had a good marriage and a marriage that you were working on going into the pandemic, then, then you came out of the pandemic with a stronger marriage. If, if you were working on a skill, then, then as you went through that pandemic, you came out more proficient in that skill. If you, if you were hungry for God, then it was accelerated and you came out of the pandemic on fire for God and thankful for the protection of the Lord in your life. And I love that. That's awesome. But it also needs to be said that people that had downhill habits, when they went into the pandemic, it accelerated those bad habits that they had. If there was trouble in their marriage, guess what? It was accelerated. That's why the divorce rates rose over the last two years. Some places, 30% increase. Listen to this. Some places, it was a 122% increase in divorce rates. And, and I'm not talking about Houston, Harris County, United States of America. I'm talking about statistics from China to Sweden. I'm talking about from all over the world. That This is what we found, that those ha- that had issues with other people, the pandemic just accelerated that. I give you the proof of Facebook. And all of the arguing that takes place there. If, if you had uh, issues with addiction, then, then the pandemic only accelerated that. If you had lust problems, they were accelerated. And, and there's only one way to turn those things around. Intentional living. Intentional living. This is what the Scripture says, and I believe that gathering is still important. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Even back when the writer of Hebrews was pinning this word, neglecting to assemble was seen as a downhill habit. 
And, and no, I'm not saying that you have to be at church 52 Sundays out of the year, but I'm saying be consistent. You know what I love about today that we have today? Is anybody thankful for today? Amen. Do you know what is going to happen at the end of today? Today will be gone and we'll never get it back. I've said it. You can't climb to the mountaintop by accident. You have to start climbing. The fourth thing, and this is my last point, is you have to make room for people. We talked about that last week, how you should love people. And the writer of Hebrews says, we need to stir up one another to love and good works. I, I want to again say how thankful I am for a church that has given 150000 just so we could bless other people. You know, Hurricane Harvey was a game changer for Houston. It was a game changer for our church. And, and I remember when I was looking at the pictures of this building, it was, it was flooded and we didn't know what was going to happen. I started getting phone calls from pastors who were giving us $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 just to help us. It stirred up a gift. Life Church, we were able to do the same thing during Hurricane Item, uh, Ida, help many churches. And, and I had a video ready to play. I'm not going to play it because time is slipping away. But Chad Decody, his church was devastated. His city was devastated. Home of Louisiana. And I'm thankful that as a church, we were able to write him a check for $20,000 just to help them get back on their feet. Thank you, Life Church, for your giving. We helped Brent Keating in Lake Charles. We helped Jared Pugh in Lake Charles because we decided that we were going to be a church that was going to make a difference in the life of others. Make room for people. Everybody say make room for people. And guess what? I know people are a distraction. <laughs> you got things to do and people are trying to bother you. They're, they're a distraction. And, 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 and I know that there's things that are going on, but, but you know what? This is what I know. That while people may be messy, while people may be an interruption, while people may be a bother, an inconvenience, that Jesus made time for everyone. Amen. Is there anybody in the room that is thankful that Jesus made time for you? Is there anybody in the room that your heart is filled with gratitude because the King of Kings left His throne in glory and intentionally came and was born not in royalty, but in a manger so that He could bring an end to the gulf that sin had created. If you're thankful, will you stand with me and let's just love the Lord together. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Will you just lift your hands with me and love Him for a moment? I love you, Jesus. I'm thankful that you loved us enough that you intentionally came, oh Lord. I love you, Jesus. And I'm thankful that you take time for each one of us. That you search us out, Lord. That you find us when we've wandered. When you make sure that we know that you welcome us back. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. I'm thankful that when Jesus went into a village and there was a blind man that everybody forgot that Jesus took time for him. I, I, I'm thankful when Jesus 
saw that there was just one guy climbing up in a tree and everybody hated him, he, he took time for him. I, I'm thankful that Jesus took time for the devil-possessed, the religious leaders, whoever it was, I'm thankful. I, I want to I leave you with a couple of questions, three questions to be exact. The first question is, who is number one in your life? Are you number one? Is tradition number one? Or is Jesus number one? The second thing I want to ask you is, do you have incredible dreams that you know God gave you, but your habits are all downhill? Your habits don't match the calling that God has placed in your life? And the last thing is, what needs to change in your life? What, what reshaping needs to take place so that you can be the person that God has called you to be? Now, I'm going to pray, and I know I've preached a long time today, and I'm not apologizing for it, because in this season, we need to be intentional. Because Jesus was intentional to save us. Lord, thank You so much for this day, and Thank You, Lord, for everything that You have done for us. We want to be like the wise men. We want to seek You, God. If it means we have to come from a long way off, if it means we have to go through the layers of what this world tries and throw in front of us, I, I want us to just be a people that just make up our mind. Because You pursued me, O oh Lord, I will pursue you with all of my heart. And I just pray right now, dear Lord, that someone that is here that is battling with those downhill habits, if there's someone here that has just given up on their marriage, if there's someone here that has given up on their life because they're trapped in addictions, if there's someone here that is so captured by lust and destruction that lust brings, I just pray that even today, Lord, that there would be a, a turn in their own heart and that they would pursue you with everything that they have, oh God. I ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Now, I know it's the Christmas season. I know that even today you may have things that you need to do. But this is what I would like. As team comes and starts leading us in a course, I'd like for you to take just at least five, ten minutes and I invite you to come and stand around the front of this building, make this our altar area today, and just say, Lord, I'm thankful for what you've done for me, and I will pursue you with all of my heart. God bless your life, church. I love you.